Hi, and welcome to the Luminaries In and Out of Sect podcast, a show about the moon and how astrologers embody and relate to it. My name is S.P. Hall, and I'm your host. I have some exciting news about the podcast for you all today. Basically, I'm planning to do some additional episodes on the moon and topics related to the moon in the coming months, in addition to my regular sect light Luminary Out of Sect episodes. Today's episode is with Greg Crawford, and in it we talk about the moon and the elements and the phases. It's an abridged version of his recent Norwak talk entitled The Moon and the Four Elemental Roots, which I've linked in the show notes. From the moment I saw the name of Gray's lecture, I knew that I wanted to invite him on the podcast. Thankfully, because of the generous support of the Association of Young Astrologers, I was able to attend Norwak this year digitally on a partial scholarship. I was grateful to be able to watch Gray's lecture, among a number of other really informative talks. In addition to this episode, I'm also planning to release something on the progressed lunar phase, the lot of fortune, and Hecate in the coming weeks and months, among other episodes. As always, if you enjoy the work that I'm doing, please contribute to the podcast's sustainability by becoming a supporting member or offering a one-time donation on my website. There you can also find information on my services. I'm currently offering natal and horary consultations in addition to a timing consult that I recently launched. I also offer transcription, captioning, and audio and video editing. Thanks again to all those that have offered their generous support. I really appreciate you. Now for my conversation with Gray. I hope you enjoy it. Please be sure to check out the links to his website and socials below, as well as links to some of the resources that we touch on in our conversation. Great, Crawford. Thank you so much for being with me today. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for inviting me on this series. It's um, it's great you've been doing all this moon work. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for you know the moment I saw the title of your Norwak talk, I was like, oh, that's amazing. I want to talk to Gray on my podcast. And thank you for saying yes to doing this kind of like general, uh, like moon content episode. Uh, I'm trying to, as a part of this, do additional um, moon content episodes, like, you know, secondary procrastination cycle. I'm thinking Mm. about doing an episode on the the lot of uh, fortune, different kind of just general moon stuff while we're in this kind of year long moon series. So yeah, thank you for saying yes. Yeah, that's great. Secondary progressions are a a great one. Mm -hmm. Sort of, I mean, it's a great idea for your podcast because I really noticed that doing that NORAC talk because in order to like do it, I wanted to, I wanted to all, I wanted to focus on having client examples for it mm-hmm. in, instead of having it be just like celebrity people. And so um, I had never actually done that before where it's like just specifically about the moon. And I just started emailing people partially just to make sure I'd say what, what they're okay with. But I was like mm-hmm. kind of asking them questions about their moon to also get like the the words and their, their own words, their own language, like could more even better portray, you know, how they felt about their moon. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just really beautiful for me just to hear people talking about the moon. It's just like, if you have that kind of conversation, just focusing in on the moon, it, it really is interesting what just starts coming out with mm-hmm. the lunar, with lunar material and everything. Yeah. I really appreciated actually that you focused on people that you knew and, um, 
you know, not to get off on a tangent, but we both have the moon in our first whole sign house. And so there is like this element of us both kind of having these lunar, lunar qualities that we're embodying. And it feels, it, it felt very lunar for you to kind of like um, convey, kind of like transfer light almost, like convey uh, the reality mm-hmm. and the life of another person that we didn't really know. We knew kind of like a pseudonym about them and we saw their chart, but you were kind of the intermediary the you know the mediatrix as we can talk about the moon and so i thought that that was actually really cool you know rather than just like here's a famous person's chart who we all know and we all have kind of preconceived notions about yeah thank you yeah i have my moon conjunct my south node and so you know it it is a moon that's really connected to its own orbit and like Mm. coming down across the ecliptic so i think it it was a good um good use of my man <laughs> mm, yeah and, and a good use of my man in that way yeah absolutely yeah and so you were at Norwalk. do you want to just talk generally a little bit about how was Norwalk this year I was there last year I was super sad I couldn't go um but I actually got to see your talk uh I just want to give a shout out to Aya the Association of Young Astrologers I applied for a scholarship and I got a partial scholarship to attend Norwalk, so I was able to go on Sunday and uh digitally or virtually what have you and a 10-year talk among a number of other great talks as well. But how was it being there in person? Oh, it was great. And I I do, I understand some people can't travel and need to do it either virtually or or not. But if you can go in person, yeah, it's great just to be there in, in person with everybody. And um, I was particularly liking this year, there's so many really um, smart, like have things together, like younger astrologers. So, and also I'm, getting older and older I'm realizing I'm getting to be like more like one of the older astrologers which is something to get used to um I mean I'm 48 now um but still quite young yeah 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 but still like um it was just interesting and I just was really enjoying that with like the different generational interactions and things like Mm. that you can only you can only really get that at a at a conference like that yeah. So people people that are, you know are like my elders were also there and I was getting to talk to you. So it's, it's yeah, really it's it's really great in that way. Mm. Yeah, we don't get a lot of intergenerational contact in our society in general. So any opportunity for that is always wonderful, but especially when we all, you know, kind of all share this special interest and are invested in each other's work and stuff like that. It's really special. Yeah, definitely. All right, great. Can you offer us just a short uh, introduction to yourself, your kind of philosophical perspective mm-hmm. on astrology, you know, a bit about your astrological uh, practice, as well as, you know, some of the teachers that you've had, some of the influences? Yeah, um, it's, it's a great question. And I, I know people want to always like, um, a lot of people have very identified things they call themselves. I really just consider myself to be an astrologer. Mm. I, I draw on a bunch of different schools of thought which I can which I can go into here a little bit I um I know when I've had to write these bios recently I was struggling with what to say and I threw in some terms like being um relational and imaginative and I do use psychology a psychological approach um although at the same time I have learned traditional astrology but I don't really see it as a like a a divide um and for example like i really like the work of carl jung mm-hmm. carl jung was reading you know ancient texts in greek you know he could read greek he could read latin 
um, that's all part of his of psychology, you know, orientation. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, um, but I, I do practice of specific branches of astrology. So I practice primarily natal astrology. That's my main thing. And I really enjoy doing natal consultations with people. Mm -hmm. I also do um, horror and with natal consultations, I, I do use a pretty wide spectrum of um, perspectives. I also do horary astrology, like answering questions from people. Oh, cool. I don't tend to professionally give out elections to people, um, but I guess I do actually do. I do personally use electional astrology and it sometimes comes up and I do astrological magic mm -hmm. also. Yeah, I mean, with my age and also, honestly, with my age, I could have become aware, I think, of the traditional revival. It was certainly happening mm -hmm. as I was... Um, getting into astrology. Um, I got into astrology around my um, second Jupiter return in my early 20s. Oh, cool. And I had always been into astrology. I was not somebody that um, didn't, I was not like a skeptic of astrology or thought it was just ridiculous. It always seemed interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And um, my first really major relationship, my girlfriend in college, um, she had some interest in astrology too. And we just kind of came across sun sign books and just thought it, and it was interesting. She was a Taurus with sun and Venus and Taurus mm. conjunction. I'm a Pisces with sun, Jupiter, Pisces conjunction. So I think that probably oh, helped interesting. us relate to this, the Taurus Pisces characterization, but that was sort of my initial interest. And, um, you know, like Linda Goodman's sun sign astrology. I didn't even mm. know there was like a, such a thing as, astrology charts or um mm. and i got really into there's um this birthday book that used to have it like barnes and nobles and border bookstores that you go kind of go in a it's like a big thick book that's everybody's birthday and it's the signs are organized by decans although they also kind of throw on a cusp mm. but um i got really into that book and writing everybody's i knew days in in there with, with like their birthdays and figuring stuff out that way and so it was actually kind of interesting. I had this sort of deckhand um, organizational system in my mind initially, but I didn't really oh, cool. know there was anything about astrology. And then, like I said, it's around my second Jupiter return that um, I finally met a woman who just like asked me, um, she, we were talking about astrology. She's like, well, what's your mean? And I was, you know, I was like, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. And um, she just explained, well, you know, you actually have a chart. And again, like for whatever reason, I hearing this was just like, this makes total sense to me. I, I don't really know why. And I just, I was like, it just kind of clicked in my mind. Oh, of course there would actually be, you wouldn't just be your sun sign. Right. And then I just got really into learning. And for a while, um, I was just really learning on my own. And I think because I wasn't a big internet person, I didn't become aware of some of that traditional revival stuff. But then basically around my Saturn return um, where I live in Olympia, there's a, there was a woman that was teaching her name, Rosie Finn. Mm. And she had these really I think great... I've heard that name before. Oh, really? Actually, maybe cool. from Sabrina. Is she an evolutionary? No, but okay, um, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. No, you, you are because Sabrina used to live in Olympia where I live. And um, oh, cool. she probably took some classes from Rosie at some point, or at least went to, so Rosie would always do these, um, they're called plants and planets with this uh, really amazing woman named Carol Trezado, who was a herbalist. 
and Rosie would get up and do like just talk about all the transits mm. for like the next month and then Carol would get up and talk about herbs that would kind of support the astrology and so that was really and then I started um, I actually got a reading from Rosie and then I sort of slowly started meeting other astrologers but she was a yeah really interesting astrologer um had a sort of harmonic astrology understanding that I don't really see other people tend to have mm-hmm. it wasn't the same as like David Cochran harmonic astrology and she's since gone into Jyotish but it wasn't also like the divisional harmonic exactly thing but yeah so I was into stuff like around that time too um you know it would just be like the best books I could get and I was really into like Dane Rudyard and I around that time I found Demetra George's Asteroid Goddesses book in a used bookstore and that really Mm, blew my mind because I I was really into goddesses Mm. I was kind of the person in my 20s as a male that's sort of like wanting to disown myself from the male I went through one of those phases of like all these male gods are you know so patriarchal and I just want to be into all these different goddesses and so I had Mm, been into that and so um and you might have seen those books there's like I think it's Jean Shaboda it's like gods goddesses in every woman and gods in every man where I had been into those books too and um so I had some archetypal understanding of that stuff and Demetra's book bringing the asteroids just kind of blew my mind and then so I was really into that and then where this all kind of ends up coming together I'll get to the end of this (laughs) is that um a few years later I, I started practicing I finally started giving readings in my like early 30s and around that time one of my really good friends here was like really into evolutionary astrology through um Jeff Green his name is Bradley Narragun and he um He's actually always at NORAC doing art stuff, but he's actually a really great um, evolutionary astrologer. Mm. He was constantly talking to me about it. And and even though there was other things on the internet, I, I wasn't aware of, and they had this like uh, message board you could kind of get on and learn evolutionary astrology. Oh, cool. And I just was like, I'm just going to jump on this and learn it. And it kind of actually gave me a structure. And so I actually went through a, a little period where I was learning evolutionary astrology through Jeff Green. Interestingly, at the same time that um, Jason Hawley was and became friends with him through that, and I got a scholarship to go to an evolutionary conference, and that was my first ever um, conference. And even at the first dinner, I was sitting, and actually Mark Jones sat down next to me and started talking to me, and then (laughs) this woman was across from me. I didn't totally know who she was, and then someone said, like, Demetra, and I realized I was sitting across from Demetra. Wow. And at that point, I had she had very recently come out with the um, astrology of the authentic self, mm-hmm. and I had seen that book and was that was my first awareness of like Hellenistic astrology. Mm. And even though I was at this evolutionary astrology conference, um, you know, I jumped on a chance to get a reading from Demetra there, and um, I'd really say my main lineage and teacher and everything is it would be Demetra. And that's if I had to say, like, who do I practice? It, it would definitely be through Demetra because of the asteroid. Um, before I learned more Hellenistic and traditional techniques, I did use a, a lot of that. I don't use them as much now, but I used to use asteroids a lot as a way of mm-hmm. opening up a lot of information about the person. Yeah. And Demetra has a very strong Rujar influence, which I really love that it's still there, even when you can tell it's there if, if you're in the Rujar. 
mm-hmm. and um, her mythic understanding. But then, yeah, then I, I actually started learning um, Hellenistic astrology and um, got to go on some retreats with her also. Oh, amazing. And um, yeah, it was actually really beautiful, the retreat last year right at the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction when her book came out. Um, mm. there were, it was a Time Lord technique retreat, and I was there for that, and we you know, kind of celebrated her book coming out. Interesting, I asked her about this because I was curious. She has, she's a totally Jupiter-Neptune person that every time it, they come together, she's done something like really significant. Mm. Um, and that book to me was like such a Jupiter-Neptune great example, but um, the last day we got to go around and like kind of tell Demetra, you know, how much she meant to us. So that was really, oh, that's special. really nice. Yeah. So that, that mm. would be as far as natally, I, I do, I definitely do use a lot of the Hellenistic techniques, but I, don't, I, I think I, I kind of work differently from other people in a lot of ways because of how long I just spent learning astrology on my own. And it was mm-hmm. a lot more about all the different people I knew. Yeah, which is different from how people learn now. Um, yeah, I wanted to get into this because we were kind of talking yeah. talking earlier off off, um, you know, in DMs on Instagram actually about mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, I just started learning. I'm I'm 33 now. I just started learning astrology about a year year ago. Norwak last year was a, kind of a big um, inflection point for me in terms of my education. Uh, and there are so many, you know, I've like started this podcast, like six months into kind of being a student and, um, there are so many resources now, uh, you know, Demetra's books have been foundational for me, but mm-hmm. also the astrology podcast and also, you know, just having contact with people like you on, um, you know, on social media and Twitter and just being able to be like, Hey, I have this idea. What do you think? And people will just be like, read this or, you know, read that. And that that's been super you know, I feel like there is a real community that's supporting me in my journey and in my practice, but that's very, you know, a little bit different from your experience from when you were starting to learn. Yeah. And especially because I hear people talking about like being on MySpace and doing like Chris Brennan will say that in Austin. And I had no idea there was an astrology (laughs) thing happening on MySpace. I was like on there with when I finally did get on MySpace, it was just like music and living in Olympia with like the music scene here. Uh I had no idea people were so I really didn't know that there was more of an astrology scene so yeah a lot of it really was like I mean like I'm saying it really was until like my Saturn return time period that I actually met an actual astrologer mm-hmm. and I for like almost like a decade I had just been really interested in it and just learning it on my own and and um my ex-wife who I had children with she was into astrology too actually it wasn't like I, I knew people that were astro- into astrology, but nobody that was like a, I mean, like a professional astrologer who's like giving readings and making money from mm-hmm. practicing. Astro- I didn't know. I just knew people that were like some people that were interested in it like me. But I think what's interesting about that is now it's amazing all the book learning and all the theoretical understanding you can get. And I think that's like hugely important. It made a huge difference for me to learn. Um, I had the Chris Brennan's course and learned from Demetra. When I wanted to do horary, I, I did the um, School of Traditional Astrology certification with Deborah Holding. Mm-hmm. So when I do horary, I actually practice that way with like a quadrant system. I don't use, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't do whole sign horary. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, 
I think there's something important though about taking your time with it and learning from your own experience and knowing different people with the placements and just the actual reality of what people's lives are like that have these placements, yes. which is not always the same as what these book doctrines are telling you mm-hmm. this is like supposed to mean. And um, that's the the part where I think stuff is, will be shifting over time where, where yeah, now there's a, a bunch of people coming in that are, they're all getting that amazing foundational knowledge, which I think is really important and definitely makes your practice way better. Mm-hmm. But then there's also like, yeah, you know, make sure you're talking to people and getting a sense of what their life is actually like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. And I think also it's, it's it's really important to actually be intuitive and be open to the field and what's going on, interacting with people and the, and the living symbol. This is like a living, mm-hmm. alive symbolism. And if there's a, a great bright book that Brian Clark wrote called Soul Symbol and Imagination, where he talks about this. Like if you're just having these things, to a certain point, yes, there are patterns you memorize and certain things mean certain things. But if you're just very black and white and you're very like, this means this. And if you're not open to what is actually happening, mm-hmm. it's it's not alive. You're not relating to it. You know, yeah. um, that's the way that when I was, when I think of like being kind of a, a relational astrologer, that's sort of what I mean by that. Just trying to really relate to what's going on in the space and what you're seeing. And I, I'm someone that definitely prepares ahead of time, but I think it's important to then let yourself be open to what comes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, meet, meeting the, meeting the person. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll just say like, I'm really grateful that I've been able to do this podcast and talk to other astrologers and, have it be, um, you know, uh, intelligent, well-versed astrologers talking about their own charts and like mm-hmm. me asking questions about that because it has been really educational and for me in terms of, um, and hopefully for my, you know, the listeners and stuff for how these placements actually show up. And, you know, we were, sp- we were speaking before about, we're going to talk about the the moon and the elements mm-hmm. lecture that you did at Norwalk, but you also did another lecture about detriment and, or um, what's the term that you use for it? Oh, inversion. It's, inversion. Um, yeah. When Chris Brennan and Ben Dykes did a podcast on it, at one point, Chris just asked Ben to give out some other ways to translate one of the Arabic terms. I believe it was an Arabic term. And he threw out inversion at one point. And even Chris kind of paused and is like, mm, inversion. Mm. To me, I like it because it's more dynamic. It mm-hmm. has a like, dynamic sense to me. Yeah, even like antithesis is mm-hmm. has can have like uh, I think reflexively negative connotations for me. Mm-hmm. So in, in a in a way that inversion does not. Inversion has more of kind of a spatial element to it. Yeah, and inversion certainly can be. I mean, people use inversion all the time. That something's inverted, and that they're meaning that in a really negative way. Mm. And I. I mean, there's certainly challenges with the placements, but I think it's a lot more dynamic. It's a lot more, it's a lot more nuanced. And um, an analogy I used in that talk, um, which I saw, I got a little bit from Firmicus Maternus that would relate to what we're about to talk about with the moon and her phases and like mixing all these elemental considerations together. I think it's when he's talking, if I'm remembering right, he's, he might be talking about Venus in certain houses. I almost want to even say it's like Venus in the 12th house, but I can't remember. There's definitely some like really 
terrible maternist delineations happening. And then he just like drops this idea about um, the idea of, of astrology being like an artisanal painter and like you're painting this portrait mm. and like the fire of the stars are creating these like mixtures of colors. And that's what I think mm. it is very, you can relate that very directly, I think, to the moon and her phases and mixing together with the elements. Like if you're thinking about the, the image of the person being like a portrait or like colors and the, these different, oh, there's all these different planetary factors that are all mixing together and blending together. And to just say Venus and Aries is like bad and you're not going to be able to do anything to me is just not reality because somebody might have a Venus and Aries that is actually really, really difficult for them. And I have Venus and Aries and yeah, it, it does have some difficulty, but there's, it's not like there's nothing you can do with it. And mm -hmm you really actually have to look to me about how is that planet relating to everything else yeah all the, there's so many things to look at yeah so that's one thing yeah that idea of like how how does it you know how do these things kind of blend together and mix together mm, yeah i love ex as well just kind of the emphasis on astrology as this highly contextual thing with mm -hmm. all of these mitigating factors and details and it's kind of like what does venus and aries mean it's like well it depends you know <laughs> it's like uh yeah. Cameron Allen was saying that to me the other day on Twitter it's like you know about this you know well it depends in astrology like like most things it's it's very uh situation dependent on a lot of other factors and the relationship between all of these different things and yeah yeah so I appreciate that yeah so let's get into it what led you to do your Norlac lecture or you know this Norlac lecture on the moon uh especially as it related to to phase and to element yeah, I, I really think I can give the credit to my wife, Jeannie, uh, because a while ago she asked me, like, um, oh, what's a really good talk on the moon? She really wanted to see a talk about the moon and was also hoping to hear something about working in mythology of the moon as well as, and I, I couldn't actually think of one that I could really think is, like, really amazing um, and not disrespect to somebody that because I probably just haven't seen your lecture if you're somebody out there that, that did one. But the one that can like I do really there's one that Michael Ofik did um that's like a Hellenistic doctrine of the moon like workshop, but it's like hours long and it's mm. he doesn't I think he does an amazing job synthesizing um many aspects of the moon together. And so I was like, it maybe it kind of gave me a idea, well, you know, I should do a talk on the moon. And then when I got asked to speak at NORAC, that was one of the things I was thinking about doing. And I have a tendency that I always want to give a talk that I've never heard somebody do before. Mm -hmm. um, and all the NORAC talks I've done have been like that. Um, and so I started thinking about, well, the moon and the elements would be really interesting. And then the extra element was just bringing the lunar phase, because just to say the moon by itself you know, she's always changing. The lunar phase is always changing. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually so important. And I don't feel like I tend to hear people always getting into it a lot, like how that changes. The meaning of something will change depending on what phase mm -hmm. the moon is in. And so um, I was like, well, that would be, be great. I'll just do the lunar phase with the elements. Then once I actually had to sit down and do it, I was kind of... Um, it's like, why did I say that? Because <laughs> I didn't know how I would actually get through it all. I had to like break down the time to figure out 
how much time I was going to have for each section. I realized, well, this is barely going to give me any time to talk about anything, but I think it, it worked out and I had to just move pretty quickly through it mm -hmm. to fit it in. And I was actually really happy because I got through, I did get through all the elements. I had to do fire really fast at the end, but I was afraid yeah. that I would like not get through them all because, but, mm -hmm. but it, it worked out. So yeah, it was a great lecture. Yeah. Thank you. Wonderful. So can you share with us a little bit about how you view the moon and its role in astrology? Yeah. I mean, it's really to me, um, one of the most obviously as you know it's one of the most important things in astrology maybe mm -hmm. it's the most important mm -hmm. thing in astrology um, i think it's great that you're doing this podcast doing insect and out of sect thank you but um to me like you always want to look at the moon the moon's always important even if you're a day chart the moon's really important and you know it's you you always the moon's always really in in any branch of astrology where it's horary or electional or magic or natal astrology it's the thing that you always have to look at mm -hmm. um like you mentioned earlier i think that the main one of the, the reasons the moon's so important is being that intermediary mm -hmm. and um sort of like hecate in um if you're familiar with the, the Hesiod work where he's kind of going through all these genealogy of deities and at one point he just mm -hmm. breaks out into this really long extended um, honoring of Hecate and how important she is as this intermediary force mm -hmm. and um, the moon is really like that I mean it's the thing it's the moon and how this relates to the elements you know the the four elements being this um sort of symbol of these cosmic roots of all existence mm. and when we when we're talking about the geocentric perspective we use in astrology and how that relates to the celestial spheres you know with saturn being the highest sphere and it's up closest to the stars and the divine and the moon being the lowest sphere and that, that sublunar realm of elements you know all mixing together and everything mm -hmm. um she's really you know governing this and she's mediating this there's a really great line of Frank Hughes said it in an older text but it's like she conceives like a womb mm. um, the virtues of all the stars and you know she pours them down mm. onto us she's constantly translating and picking up the meaning you know there's all the planets are constantly changing and cycling right and all the phases are meaningless. there's this constant flux and she's picking this up and translating it and mediating it and bringing it down to us. Um, if you think about, you know, astrology, a lot of us think about there is sort of an ultimate one, like a one source or ultimate noose or ultimate divine mind that when that breaks into like two, you know, we're really talking about the sun and the moon. Mm. And especially in terms of, you know, we are obviously incarnated in these bodies Mm -hmm. um, yet we're connected to, you know, our souls and, and spirit and the stars and these higher planes of reality mm -hmm. and these this, these intersections of spirit and matter that are so important that we're working with in astrology. And so she really, you know, she governs how that comes together in our body. I mm -hmm. think um, sometimes when people see the moon and they read the traditional things like the moon's the body um, or she's darkness and that might sound like it's really material and not spiritual but you know it's really about the the idea we have 
the entire living cosmos within our body. Mm. You know, within our body, we realize that connection of spirit and matter, and mm. we these kind of higher planes of reality that we're not usually in touch with. They do, you know, they come through us sometimes. They mm. might show up in a dream or some extrasensory yeah. impression. I feel that's very much her in that role of like this a messenger and she's also, also i used the, the term a uh, carrier bag sort of there's a really great essay by ursula k Le Guin called the carrier bag of fiction mm. that i was kind of getting that because people always usually say receptacle and i didn't i didn't want to just say the same thing everybody always says yeah. but you know she is this great receptacle this mm. carrier bag she's holding all the memories and mm. feelings and emotions right and, and mediating this and also, especially the way she, the the ebb and flow of life, the ebb and flow of her cycle, um, this nonlinear, the nonlinear aspect of reality, which reality is really nonlinear. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's obviously the way our culture tries to place this linear construct on top and of this. So, yeah, she's very like always con connecting us back to that mm -hmm. um, nonlinear aspect. And and really, you can think about too, you know, like the primal chaos, you know. Um, her orbit and the intersections with the ecliptic, you know, are often imagined as a dragon, you know, like mm -hmm. the head of the dragon, the tail of the dragon. There's this, you know, chaotic, you know, serpent, dragon, tectonic underworld, you know, sort of magic and chaos aspect mm -hmm. that she's also holding that, you know, at times can overcome or sort of flood our, our sense of like, solar identity in, in a way but yeah anyways there's something very primal there she's always connecting with us too but then obviously being the great mother the great um, caregiver the nurse you know, you know she takes care of everyone um and protects she's a great protective force too um it certainly comes into play with um, psychology and psychological defenses and psychological complexes where like I feel like when when you look at all those DSM diagnoses of different psychological or often called disorders or different things, there's often usually something operating where there's um, some people have written about this, like Donald Cowshed um, with trauma. There's often this sort of protective guardian, sort of daimonic figure. You know, it's often about ultimately protecting something within the self. It's protecting mm. this vulnerable part that's then coming out in this maybe distorted way. Mm -hmm. um but that's very lunar you know because she's she's wanting to protect us and nurture us mm. and even the monstrous the things that are you know monstrous about us or um which are like or about the psyche um which are often the etymology of that you know it's like demonstrating they're often demonstrating something mm -hmm. important that we have to work through um yeah, there's just so much. I, I'll stop because I'll just keep talking about. Yeah, <laughs> you could go on, go on forever. <laughs> in, the, in the lecture, you you talk about the the three goddesses that are associated with the moon, and you've already mm. mentioned Hecate, and mm -hmm. um, I have a particular love for Hecate. I'm I'm just mm. kind of don't have a strong relationship with her. I'm a little bit uh, I'm towing my way into that, but she is often associated with the waning moon, which is my mm -hmm. natal moon. Um, mm. and, and is associated with kind of like monstrous elements almost mm. like she is a kind of force to be reckoned with mm -hmm. um also you know i i spoke about this on the gemini uh sectlight episode like freely walks into the underworld with uh persephone to kind of mm. just 
just because, you know, she wants to, um, which I find a very touching uh, element about Hecate. But yeah, yeah and I'm, also I'm, sort of, you know, means also about our senses and which can be illusionary sometimes, but also, you know, really picking things up. And in that story, she very like, she doesn't actually know what happened, but she's like, she's, yeah, she senses. she's like, it. she's like, I know. Mm-hmm. Like he, and she's like, you need to talk to the sun. Mm-hmm. She doesn't see it. She kind of like <laughs> hears it. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, there is this kind of like other knowing that's happening. And I also just want to point out like, um, you know, what you talked about in relation to the spiritual element of the moon and the moon's rejoicing in the third. And I think mm-hmm. that, um, you know, in my episode with Cameron Allen, uh, where we talked about like the Rob Hands um, comment about Mercury and a lot of fortune and astrologers and their charts. Uh, he he was really talking about the third house and how um, important that is in as a house of divination, and I really mm. think that that's that speaks to the moon's joy and all the moon does in astrology, uh, you know, as well as the moon's governance of sleep and dreams and these kind of liminal spaces, um, so like kind of that are kind of akin to dream space. Yeah, and also the third house with ritual and your own sense of ritual and divination mm-hmm. and kind of personal relationship there. Yeah, that's great. That's actually, I have my lot of fortune in the third house. And for some reason, I don't know why I hadn't um, thought about that in the lunar context of it being the mm-hmm. house of the joy. That makes me feel a little bit better about that cadence. <laughs> yeah, it was just re- that re- cadent place. I was just reading um Demetra's uh volume two and she mm-hmm. was talking about the house of the lot of fortune as the house of the moon in the chart, which mm-hmm. I think is an interesting idea. Yeah. I know that Rob Han I have that in terms of the um what is it, the eleventh place from my fortune is you know Gemini where you're sending me in. So it has that yeah. Mercury Mercury connection there. But I don't think everybody has that in a astro- in a who's an no. astrologer. I think it's probably more common than we might be surprised at how common it is. But you don't need to have that to be an astrologer. Yeah, and it's interesting because like there can be just like in astrology how uh, things are situation dependent. It's like multiple testimony is also an important yeah. thing. And I was reminded of uh, the P- Pikachu episode of the astrology podcast where Christopher Warnock is talking about angular moons and astrologers and going to Japan mm-hmm. and kind of seeing that come up angular moons or, you know, dignified moons. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's mm-hmm. another example as well. Yeah. Moon in the first house. Yeah. And this is a little, I guess I'm not off topic because we're talking about the moon in the um, one time I was learning from Demetra. I think it was actually at the retreat I was at last year um, where she said this, we were talking, I think it was in the, it might've been in the context of Zodiac releasing. It was definitely in the context of one of the techniques. And um, she uses a little bit of a different system, which I actually do think is important to consider that sure the, the fortune houses are really important, but also the angular NATO houses would be because you might have fortune in a cadent house. Mm. And it's not like, which I do, you know, obviously in the third house and she does too, apparently, because she was talking about herself. Um, I don't remember her chart offhand where she has a lot of fortune, but she was given an example of, I think it was like, she had been doing all this research or stuff, you know, she, for her, it was like this huge active period, like kind of like a fortune period. It was like really active and so much was going on in her mind and she was having all these realizations. 
But if somebody was like, oh, what, what happened? It would be like, well, well, nothing happened. I was just, <laughs> you know, sitting at my house. And I thought that was a really good example of like a cadence, mm -hmm. that idea of like a cadent fortune and sort of like in this in-between realm. It's not like it's necessarily like this big outer event. It might be mm -hmm. more this real active um, quality in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, the the metacosmic nature mm -hmm. of the Caden houses and also kind of the in internal nature that Demetra emphasizes with the Caden houses. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. All right, and so to to move on a little bit, can you share a bit about the importance of temperament in astrology and how that plays into your lecture? Yeah, so temperament is definitely a major thing in older forms of astrology, and then it seems like it kind of fell to the wayside a bit until the traditional revival came around. Um, one of the, actually, the, the main source I've had working with temperament is um, Doreen Greenbaum has a really good book on temperament mm -hmm. um, that I would recommend where she puts together a lot of the um, history of it. And she, in that book, she talks about how um, it's from the Latin temperamentum, which basically means um, a mixture. Mm. And so that idea of a mixture makes a lot of sense because we were, we, when we're talking about these cosmic roots of all creation being like the elements, mm. and we then talk about them being divided into these qualities of hot and cold or dry and moist, the temperaments are all like mixtures of these different elemental qualities. And each of the four temperaments Israel is associated with one of the elements although it's like they're exactly the same thing but mm -hmm. and she Dorian Greenbaum just defines it as being sort of a person's nature or inherent disposition and so she sort of contrasts that with temperament not really being the same as um, personality because it's something that's just very um, innate Mm -hmm. um and a little bit different from character in that way too so it doesn't have really it's something that doesn't have anything to do with um external conditioning influences the idea of it is that it's something very inherent like and she gives the example that um she is apparently phlegmatic mm -hmm. to at least some degree yeah um it's just kind of feel, like the nature of water, this water, kind of internal yeah. flowing quality. Mm -hmm, exactly. And although it can be a little, be a little stagnant to mm. slow. Um, but she was like, you know, I might admire um, this person's um, sanguine quality, which is very like social. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she could learn those skills. You know, she could learn to be more social and learn these social skills. But it's not that like inherent nature. Mm -hmm. um and so that's sort of what it's picking up but yeah so phlegmatic for example would be the cold and the moist which is like water so those qualities are basically um the hot qualities are things that are just you know active really externally directed they're going to like speed things up increase energy um whereas and that's like fire mm -hmm. or choleric or air or sanguine mm -hmm. and that's also seen seen to be very um generative in terms of like life and like bringing things to life mm -hmm. like um heat increasing at spring into summer and like, mm -hmm. like that increase of growth you know and then coldness is more um like centripetal and inward and um 
slowing things down, decreasing energy. And then they're the more active qualities and the other two, the moist and the dry are a little bit more passive or influenced by those other qualities. Mm-hmm. And the moist is the more um, connectivity, absorbing things, open to other influences, but not really clear boundaries. There's like this mm-hmm. diffusion and openness. Um, so those are, and there can be more um, like of an abstract synthesis of different ideas and perspectives that happen. And that is going to be more like the air and water signs. Mm-hmm. And then the dryness is um, more like separating things and making things more, um, can be more analytical in that way and more particular. Can and you do like more kind of compartmentalized in the way that earth com- can yeah. be compartmentalized? Yeah, co- more compartmentalized. And then fire also could be like very, like fire can also be very like, black and white this is like this is the way it is like mm-hmm. my way mm-hmm. the highway like i'm you know this, we're doing yeah. it this way and this ends up we'll, we can get into that. that this gets into like the whole um lunar phase and elements come into this mm-hmm. but then um i guess just to briefly mention the temperaments and then we we can talk about the moon more but so like that choleric quality which is hot and dry more like fire that's the people that are like these strong will forces and they're like that fiery ambition and they can be more aggressive and assertive and like taking charge, but like impatient and like really demanding, Mm -hmm. but they also work really hard. Um, But then they don't really understand, you know, necessarily why they're like pissing people off. (laughs) They want to be in charge. They like to be on, you know, like to be running things, um, have high expectations. And then they want to like, you know, put in the work to make it happen. Push it and forward, then yeah. yeah and that's and, and so it's not exactly the same as as necessarily as fire but but it has those same qualities and then sanguine is the more like yeah just really social and friendly and good networkers and more forgiving as opposed to like the cleric you know probably wouldn't be as much um mm-hmm. and um but it can be a little bit more unfocused Mm-hmm. So it's 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 got that air quality in that way too. That right. it's, you know might not stick with something. Um, I just want to kind of go out and have a good time, but they're you know, great people to have around. And mm-hmm. yeah, have, and and also being hot and moist, though it's also one that's very like life affirming in that way. And then yeah, okay. you mentioned the phlegmatic that's cold and wet, and that's like yeah, really strong emotions and feelings, but really slow and. Reserve, even though there's lots of feelings mm. like um it's like that still waters run deep and mm. they're more contained and um i'm pretty sanguine and phlegmatic and I, I mean i have the phlegmatic it's it's that quality of like you can procrastinate or if something happens you're like oh i'll just got that tomorrow you know like like you might you might not just they might not just jump on taking care of something right away mm-hmm. um they can also learn to do that but there might be that that slowness in that way um like i guess compared to sanguine they they have a better ability to like focus in on something and really learn it and then melancholic being cold and dry in earth would be um like melancholy they can get depressed and be pessimistic and um have that kind of attitude like nothing's good enough but that critical eye and analytical ability and they're very logical and deliberate and um work hard again and, and that kind of thing so those are like the temperaments, but the way it um, comes in with the moon, obviously the moon can be in one of these elements. 
And, you know, like most things in astrology, people have different opinions. Um, Ptolemy talked about the moon being a little bit on the warmer side and moist, mm -hmm. whereas other people like Abu Mashar see the moon as being more cold and moist. Mm -hmm. um, I think everybody, though, agrees the moon's moist. Yeah. And that, that water equality me really actually makes a lot of sense. I feel, like, I feel like I'm a little bit more on Abu Mashar's side there, but I also think that there's something about this where I'm not totally black and white in how I work with this. And one of the things I like about Ptolemy's model is uh, with the lunar phases, there's a little bit more of a flow where the um, new moon would be more that kind of cold quality. And then as once it's getting visible, the, the moisture is increasing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the heat comes in mm -hmm. and starts increasing more as it's um, waxing towards fullness. So it's going from being very much more open and connective to different ideas to being way more and not as good boundaries to way more, you know, generative and focused in on particular things. Mm -hmm. And then it starts drying out. And then um, as it's waning and heading through that last quarter, the, the, the cold is like increasing a lot. Mm -hmm. um, the technique though that Doran Greenbaum cites that seems like the one that's used a little bit more in temperament. And it's the one that Marsilio Ficino references when he says like the moon is a second sun. She creates four seasons every month. Mm. It's the one that William Lilly mentioned. Abba Mashar in his great introduction also mentions this, which is that if you just quarter the moon into four phases, that first phase would be more like the air quality and that, or I guess you could say sanguine or that increasing heat and that moisture. Mm -hmm. And then the first quarter to the full moon would be more like fire or the heat's increasing more and it's hot and dry. Yeah. And then as soon as it's waning, where it's starting, the, the coldness is in, is coming in, but the maybe the dryness is more per predominant at first. I so, I think it's more helpful to me thinking about that it's all sort of like a gradation of things and right. thinking about the blending and mixing. And but then um it's turning increasingly cold. And then as the coldness is increasing more and more, as we're in that last quarter to the dark moon, it's it's also becoming wet, sort of like um, in the morning, like the dew mm. on the grass after night, right? Um, yeah. And that's more watery than at the at the end. Um, yeah, I think it's important yeah. to point out that like you can think about it in a kind of more clear-cut way of like first quarter is hot and moist, second quarter is hot and dry, mm -hmm. but there is also another way of thinking about it in a more nuanced fashion. Yeah. To go into in the lecture. Yeah, so I think that you definitely can. And then there's a way to, I think, to me, because I do like to think about things that are psychological, I think there's a lot of interesting psychological directions. You can start taking those ideas and work with it that way. Um, another quality would be, I guess, the waxing side of the moon, especially in Maternus, it's seen as much more like diurnal mm -hmm. and the waning moon being more nocturnal and and he has some really crazy examples of like over the top like the waxing moon with venus and just these like venus gone you know overly lustful and you mm -hmm. know sleeping with everybody in a family as well as other you know people whoever you know oh, like Lord. so it's sort of like almost like putting um and i think the thinking there must be that it's a more diurnals and it's so hot and waxing mm -hmm. in that generative way that it's 
really amplifying the the qualities of Venus, whereas yeah. you'll see him sometimes describe the waning Venus um, not quite having that quality. But but the whereas the waxing can be more generative or like diurnal or like mm -hmm. more building something material focused, the waning can be more spiritualizing or mm -hmm. that kind of inner dark especially someone like you said you you're towards the end of the lunar cycle so that's definitely yeah. a, a part where it gets way more internal mm -hmm. and um that can you know you, you could you could have a waxing and it's obviously interested in spiritual matters but there can be a tendency for that real internal draw, drawing within to be really accentuated by that waning phase there yeah Absolutely, which is really interesting because um, I was just looking at the natal temperament that I calculated for myself. I'm actually like slightly so moistness and dryness are to, are balanced three and mm. three, but hot, I'm like a five for hot and like a two or three for cold, and so I'm like slightly choleric actually. And I have my moon in a fire sign, but it is it's a balsamic moon, and so there is this kind of interesting interplay that's happening um, between yeah. internality and also kind of the kind of externality of fire and you're and a like, Sagittarius moon, right? Correct. Yeah. So, so do you feel like, so the way this would, that's a good example of what we can talk about here. So then when you start thinking about how these things combine, right? So Sagittarius moon, you might think this is this really fire. They're just going to like head off and do whatever they want. They might be really unrestrained and, you know, really enthusiastic and in ways that are good, but also maybe, you know, leaping really far ahead without thinking i don't you know what i mean that kind of way with a bit like impulsive a impulsive, yeah. impulsive do you feel that you how do you feel the waning the waning phase sort of mod mediates or modulates that quality i mean i definitely think that with the moon waning in my first i very much resonate with turning inward to find uh, my spiritual center mm -hmm. and like a uh, finding god within me like deep down within kind of that kind of um idea and so i definitely think there's uh and there's also a lot going on i think um there is a lot kind of like just at the surface in terms of emotions that are always very present like i can you know I've, i definitely have a little bit of a tendency to get angry at things and kind of like voice that anger you know if someone like cuts me off or something like that or you see someone kind yeah. of doing something but there's also a lot of joy that's present. There's also a lot of like, like I could probably cry on command, <laughs> you know, just, it's just all right there. Um, but I don't know, I've had throughout my life, and I think this is partially to do with just like my upbringing and situations in my childhood. Very often people have been like, oh, I don't really know, like, I can't really read you. And so there is an element of like, kind of, using that internality that internal kind of uh tendency as an element of self-preservation to not kind of give um, give too much away if i'm feeling unsafe or you know it, it's it was more operative kind of in my childhood where you know certain kinds of expressions were were not really safe didn't feel safe um so it's kind of interesting to reflect and see how things have changed over time as well yeah that's definitely really interesting with the childhood aspect and that being like a sort of defense or a lunar protective mechanism that mm -hmm. you develop. But I would, that's what you were describing is what I would kind of wonder is that 
at the same time, there's probably just a little bit of a self-restraint that you just have anyway mm-hmm. with that um, inward pull. And um, that would be one way that, that we would I would think about the when we're when we're thinking about this elementally and the way these things mix and blend or change, like because of fire, I mean, would, uh, if we were going to put fire with the um, lunar phase model we were just describing, it would be more like the full moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like a fire moon, like waxing to fullness would be like this real extreme radiation yeah. of that. And um, probably somebody that's, we know what they feel because mm-hmm. it's very apparent how they're feeling about things. Not, not, not trouble reading that person, maybe. Um, not as much as maybe you being more complicated in that way, but it's also like a self-restraint. I would see it as in like being able to, I mean, all fire means like you mentioned, are always going to get angry and upset at times. Mm-hmm. It's kind of have been kind of engulfed in flames temporarily, yeah. but typically, yeah, it, it's, I think I mentioned this in that talk, you know, it does go by pretty fast. It's, I feel like with fire means it's like the ones I've known at least it's like, it's just gone then. And I think the, I feel like the waning fire means, have that quality even a little bit more mm-hmm. um so the i guess the contrast would that be if it was like a more like early waxing fire moon there would also be some tempering there like i like i would see your moon as being pretty tempered by that phase and then the early waxing would also be i mean it would definitely be very impulsive and spont- spontaneous but because there's that moist quality interacting with that hot dryness they're going to be more um i think uh, to me they would be tend to be have a tendency to be less like black and white and less like just do it my way and be more mm-hmm. kind of friendly and like that kind of sanguine affable you know quality and being more open to other people's ideas and uh, but then bringing those gifts of the fire to that at the same time yeah, it's really interesting in terms of, you know, one thing that comes to mind is that you spoke a little bit about the moon's temperament, but I think maybe a good reminder for people is also that planets have temperaments as well. Yeah. And kind of we we think about, I think, Jupiter partially as like the greater benefic for a number of reasons, but part of it is um, the hot and moist quality that it has, which is thought of as conducive to life. Um, yes, and exactly. Venus, Venus is the cold and moist or maybe warm and moist um a way to think and about ptolemy, that. i think ptolemy says hot and moist so that's one of the things where there's some but i'm pretty sure abu mashar has a takedown of that mm-hmm. in the... yeah it's it's like <laughs> how did how does the how does the sect how do the sect considerations come in because venus is a night planet and so the night brings an element of coolness as well i don't know that's how i've kind of thought about it um, yeah it makes sense to me i i like the idea of Venus being sort of a temp, I've heard also like a more like a temperate warmness. Mm-hmm. That would make sense to me. Yeah. But you're you're absolutely right. The planet, what's the planet that's the most fertile, you know, all about life and growing things? It's Jupiter and it's given those hot and moist qualities. And then mm-hmm. Saturn is cold and dry, but you know, the, the excessive coldness, um, which is sort of what situates it's in the in the malefic qual, uh, category although there's obviously good things about saturn and same thing with um mars hot and dry but it's often said to be excessive dryness mm-hmm. which is that again that other quality that's a look seen as being 
like you'll actually see people say like anti-life but i don't, I don't like i don't want to see people take that the wrong take that because the, wrong, the sun take, is that, also, take that the wrong way but yeah um. yeah the sun is also hot and dry the sun and is hot and dry yeah. that's part of the reason why mars is like not as affected under the beams mm. of the sun like a planet like venus for example because their natures are congruent and so um but like we literally exactly. cannot have life without <laughs> without the sun yeah and so then what you want to do that, that's great that you're bringing this up um with the planets because then what you, you can do the same thing so that the planets have these qualities you can then think about okay now we're putting it in this science so like saturn and pisces right now we're taking saturn's excessively cold and dry we're putting it in a cold and wet sign it's like really cold yeah <laughs> it's like so and that, and we can see that you know so the moistness is coming in and yeah, Saturn Pisces very can be very creative and imaginative, but there can be this tendency to that depression and melancholy, you know, and that sort of downward spiral. Mm -hmm. um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the reason that you said that my fire moon, which is kind of hot and dry, mm -hmm. mixed with the solar phase, the the waning solar, the, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, the, the waning, waning lunar phase, phase yeah. which is like a cold, cold and moist yeah. um there brings elemental balance and i think throughout thinking about yeah. temperament what people were trying to do if you know medical astrology or what have you is bring a kind of balance to the temperaments right um, and, and and the other thing to think about is with this too is which i think we sometimes forget when talking about because i think people look at the astrology chart like i for example unless you count my ic uh which my imam koali which i do think is important i have that in virgo mm. but i have no planet i have nothing in an earth sign unless you start bringing asteroids okay now i could be like i don't have any earth but um one thing we could think about is the different phases but but also like we all have so we all we have all these qualities and so mm. there's another way to even think about um mentioned that astrologer brian clark again he has a really great way of talking about when you when you lack an element it's uh, forgetting the, the, the exact phrase he talks about but it's sort of just like this fertile void it's it's almost like well actually anything can happen there like you you mm -hmm. do actually have we we have all these elements like we all these elements are part of life and so we might be particularly have these issues we're working out within certain elements or certain of these qualities um I think I might have gone sidetracked from what you originally were bringing up, but um, okay. But going back to what I was gonna when you're talking about the oh about about, about yeah about being tempered by the phase, um, yeah, medically or herbally, you could be doing that in terms of looking at a remediation or maybe there's even something astrological magic wise you want to bring balance by bringing something else in that's sort of coming into these different mixtures but it's it's not just the moon so like when i was mentioning saturn being in pisces but we, we also have this the saturn synodic cycle mm. and the quality of saturn is actually going to change depending on what phase of the synodic cycle it's in and that's the same with mars it's the same with jupiter it's the same with mercury mm. and so there is a way that you can um layer all these things together and the the synodic phases and the solar phases i think are so important about all the planets and um it's one of the parts where I, you don't always see people considering that and or they might just be able well, retrograde's bad or mm -hmm. 
or some people might be like, well, retrograde's more internal and um, which I, I do think is the case and can, um, but yeah, there's also just like looking at what part of its retrograde phases it in and, and what, yeah. So there's, there's a way you can really apply this to, to any, to all the planets. Yeah. And, mm. and their phases. Amazing. That's really thought provoking the whole nother conversation, probably a whole other class just right there of, yeah, you know, planetary synodic, cycle, synodic cycles. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Uh, I know that we've gone on quite a while, but is there any other, are there any other examples that you want to give in terms of the relation uh, of, yeah, kind of I mean, element and lunar phase? I mean, people can definitely get my talk and I have examples in there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was one that one that's not in my talk. I just did a consultation last night and let's see if I can briefly mention it was it was really interesting um, for a number of reasons. Preparing, I was like, there's some kind of major ancestral thing happening here. And this person has this major ancestral issue and patterns they need to be working with. And mm. it'd be interesting to find out if they work with ancestors or could develop something there. And um, it turned out she was um, she was born in Taiwan, but had come to America, but then had gone is living in Japan because she married a guy from Japan and they have young children. They're like five and two and a half. And she is stuck at home mm. in this parenting role and just really frustrated. And she um, has born like in 87 so has that like saturn and uranus and sag but she's born right after a capricorn new moon so the moon's like maybe okay. nine degrees in front of the sun mm. and it's squaring her um, lunar nodes in libra and aries she was wanted to talk to me because she knew she had a nodal return coming up mm. and um so she has her moon at the southern bendings in capricorn so that's like the moon's lowest point of its orbit and latitude. But being in Capricorn is also extremely out of bounds in southern declination. So it's a moon mm. that's like lowest possible latitude, squaring the nodes, um, extremely out of bounds by declination. Capricorn, Earth, but barely a new moon, like nine degrees. Mm -hmm. And then because she's in 87, her sun is only like had just separate from neptune her neptune was like a few degrees away from her sun mm -hmm. and she had mercury at the beginning of capricorn mm. also combust like mercury was like going into neptune and the sun mm. and the moon was just pulling away from like all of them so like this is like this incredibly um and she had been a writer before but just obviously there's so much imagination mm. you, you'd be probably saying that anyway just seeing okay mercury neptune sun but when you bring in this earth moon, the very beginning phase, which would be so incredibly moist and internal, but like really and out of bounds and at the bendings and, mm -hmm. you know, really connected to these unconscious depths. And we then talked about, well, she still is Capricorn though. And we we're talking about different things she could maybe do, like, even if it's just creating, well, first of all, she needs to carve out some space for herself. Mm-hmm. But also maybe, uh, you know, I was just wondering if she could even just get like a sub stack or something, just create some kind of container to start expressing, start expressing things, start getting something going. But um, and it, it turned out there was also like, and the, oh, the moon was also basically conjunct her IC. Mm. 
there were other reasons though for the ancestral stuff. And it turned out like this was like this huge pattern of like, you know, the mother of the mother of the mother have mm. all been, you know, and she's finding herself in the same situation. Wow. But anyway, I, I feel like bringing, I don't know if that made sense, but bringing in those extra elements of just the thinking about being this new moon person um, and that there is this like news, because like, you know, the, we can think about that, like there's, we can think about news to the divine mind. There's like some new message or, you know, this quality that that is there in her chart, but it's also not really visible yet. So she is someone that has a trouble like being seen in the world. Mm-hmm. And we talked about too, that might be easier for her to find someone to kind of collaborate with or kind of help her start putting herself out there more. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's just, an, that's an, hopefully that makes, does that make sense the way I was yeah, absolutely. describing that? Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. Uh, the lecture was amazing um do you have any additional thoughts you'd like to share before we just wrap up no that's great i feel like we covered a lot i think we did it i think we did it so great where can we find you and when will this lecture be available for purchase yeah. on the website so it's available right now on my website which is graycrawford.net it's spelled g-r-a-y crawford.net and i have a site there where I, i'm often writing about lunations or other things I also do have a Patreon if you want to join that. There's a lower level, which just gives you some discounts on things. And I, I also will share videos or some extra content. Like I'll do little YouTube videos that aren't on my YouTube channel that are only people on Patreon get to see. Mm-hmm. And then I have a $9 level, which is um, around the first crescent light of each lunar cycle. We have a meeting and get together and just talk about whatever people want to talk about and often look at people's charts mm. and that can I, I didn't realize that when I created but it's turned out to be I feel like really helpful for people in that way because people will get on there and start talking about their charts so you can hear it's a good way to learn that way because you can hear people talking about their charts and mm. what's going on and we can yeah, see it's it really cool and then um at a higher level $20 level usually a little bit after the full moon there is another one which is a more of a class that I'm um teaching but it's t- what has turned into more recently my wife uh, Jeannie who is a talisman maker and works with the stars often um like for she recently the swallows talisman yeah she's she about partnered to... with uh Sach- Sasha yeah yeah exactly she's about to release a Dena Balgetti uh talisman we have um turned that class this year into like a fixed star class where we talk about the mythology of the stars as well as the magical application and a little bit too about like natal charts and parans but it's it's a little bit more on the side of like mythology magic and ritual with mm-hmm. the stars yeah yeah my my partner is uh one of your patrons on patreon and uh she actually got one of those talismans and we were watching that lecture beforehand and it was uh. really really interesting there's so much about the fixed stars I have no idea about, but it was cool to to watch a little bit of that. And I love that you have it uh, organized around the moon cycle. That's super. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 That's Wallace and Talisman is, is um, pretty beautiful. Mm, yeah. We watched a movie the night that she got it or the night that she bought it. That was like really super sync. This like really disjointed, like a chronological plot structure. It was 
she was just like wow this is so synced up with the talisman i just got it was really cool yeah very cool um wonderful gray thank you again so much for for coming on it was a pleasure talking with you and uh yeah i hope we can chat again soon and i will see you soon great thank you to support the show by donating or becoming a member please visit my website which is linked in the show notes and please subscribe to the show wherever you listen you can also find me on instagram and twitter See those links in the show notes as well. If you have any questions or feedback on the show, please feel free to contact me via my website or email me at sphallhorary at gmail.com. In the show notes, you can also find links to astrologers and resources that we touched on in this episode. Thanks. See you next time.